If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew, tucked right into that pocket of the pew. And if your arms are too short to reach that Bible, we're going to have one on the big gigantic screen up here. So uh, either way, we are going to read the word tonight. Um, But Hebrews chapter 11, I'll give you a minute to get there. Boy, isn't it nice uh, weather? Just, man, I am, oh, it's so nice to have sunshine and blue skies and green grass. And I finally got to mow yesterday because all the, every time I would go to mow stuff, it would rain and the rain clouds would come and that's a bit annoying, but it's um, how it goes sometimes. But I'm so happy, so glad that spring is here. feels like summer. It's supposed to be a nice day tomorrow. Hebrews 11, are you there yet? Someone's there? Carol's there? Anyone else getting there? All right, good. We're going to read it right away here. Familiar portion of scripture, but here we go. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, if this is your Bible that you're reading from, I encourage you, underline they were commended for. What were they commended for? Their faith, okay? This is what they're commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended. There's that word again. He was commended because of his faith. He was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Wow. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended... There's that word again. He was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. See, this commendation was there because he had faith and it pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. But not only that, right? And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his... Talk about stepping out on faith. Built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By Abraham, we're going to keep going here. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Boy, that's tough sometimes, right? We cannot see in front of our face at all what we're doing, but moving by faith. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Anyone say amen to that? Wow, that's what we're looking forward to. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, uh, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and, as, uh, and he as good as dead, Abraham being so old, right? Uh, from one man came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as sand on the seashore. And we're going to end up in this right here, 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They didn't get to experience all that they were having faith for, right? They didn't, they didn't get to see it firsthand. So they had only welcomed it from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. 
If they had been thinking of a country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Anyone say amen? Hallelujah. This is the hope that we have, friends. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you this evening for those things that which you have planned for us in eternity. Lord, things that we are to do and accomplish here on the earth, but things, Lord, that we don't even have a clue about because it awaits us in eternity in heaven to be with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, today that what's in front of us is not all that there is to live for. But God, you have a heavenly country, a heavenly dwelling, Lord. Lord, you have more for us than we can ever imagine. And we thank you for that. Thank you for this great blessed hope. And God, I pray that we would live as if this is reality, because it is. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Great. Now, I've been reflecting this past week on some things from my own life, as well as the lives of people whom I love and respect in the faith. And uh, so I'm going to say some few observations and a few generalizations. And if that doesn't apply to you, then, then cool, that's okay. But I'll, I'll say them anyways, okay? So just bear with me for a few minutes. Um, you know, oftentimes when we're young in the faith, everything is exciting, right? It's fresh. It's alive. We've met Christ. He's saved us from our sins. Man, we've been set free. We now have hope. We were once hopeless. I don't know about you, but before I came to Christ, I didn't have any hope at all. And, you know, I was dead in my sins, as the Bible says. But, man, God saved me. He made me alive in Him. Now everything is new. Everything is fresh. It's exciting. It's like watching HDTV for the first time. Bam! Wow! That is clear, right? It's like everything else, we didn't realize how fuzzy it was until you got, boom, HD or 4K or whatever is the newest thing here now, right? It's, it's amazing. And, and does anyone, can anyone relate to this when you got saved, how exciting it was? Yep. We have one, yep, two, yep, three. Yep. Any, anyone else? Is this, is this your testimony? You know, when you came to, to faith. Now, you know, I was 16 when I came to Christ. I didn't, uh, you know, I was young, but I didn't grow up in church. So this was all brand new to me. And as a 16-year-old, how, you know, how many of you know that you, you have enough time in 16 years on the planet to get into some trouble and to make some bad decisions and, uh, and to get yourself in a pretty uh, not good state, right? That's true. So at 16 years old, uh, you know, I gave my heart to Christ, and man, God radically saved me. He saved me good. You know what I mean? Um, you know, no one had to drag this teenager out to church. I was, I was, let's go to church. Let's go and let's go and spend time with God. You know, I was going to the prayer meetings and that's not patting me on my own back, but this is to say, man, you know what? When you come to Christ, when you realize what he's done for you and for me, you know what? When we, when we, when we first get saved, man, it is, it's exciting. You know, I got in my notes, you know, we sing and we actually mean it, right? We used to sing these songs when I was a teenager that Jesus, I will go for you to the ends of the earth, you know, and we would, and I, I would mean it, man. And oftentimes when we're, we're young and, and new in the faith, you know, we'll step out and do anything for our Lord and Savior. And we, we often do, right? We get involved in meaningful endeavors for God, maybe a missions trip, maybe God is calling you or asking you to do something. And, and, and man, you're so excited about God. He is with you. If he's for you, who can be against you? And you're just so crazy enough to believe it. So you're going to go out and do it, right? So has been anybody else can relate to this. Or am I the only crazy person here? All right. There's a few of you. Good. But as we get a little older, you know, hopefully we grow 
and mature and get wiser and perhaps slow down a little bit. And if you think that I'm wired today, you should have seen me when I was younger. I am mellowed out quite a bit. It's a scary thought, I know, compared to what I used to be. Hopefully we, we grow and we mature and perhaps, you know, get wiser. Maybe we slow down a little bit. But sometimes, and this is where I'm going with all this, sometimes in doing so, as we get a little older in the faith, a little mature, Unwittingly, sometimes we can forfeit an element of faith that God never wanted us to forfeit. All under the guise of wisdom. Right? And what is faith? You know, we're going to talk about this today. You've seen the title. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. And we all know that those, you know, scientifically been proven that those who take notes are more likely to get to heaven. So, you know, you can take these notes, write it down. Faith and risk. What's the difference? Good question. Okay, good question. What is the difference here? What is there a risk element to living a life of faith? Yeah, sure, humanly speaking. Right? God can ask us to do some things that may seem risky. We're gonna talk about that today. You know, even at my age now, I'm not very old. I'll share you, you know, with you. I'm thirty six years old. I've been serving Christ for twenty years. After 20 years serving Christ, being now I've been married for 14 years, you know, after all these years being married, um, you know, having a, a nice big mortgage, uh, having three kids, three awesome, crazy, beautiful kids, you know, um, settled into life as a dad, as a husband, and doing the work of God. You know, if I'm being honest, sometimes the temptation is there. Okay, I'm just going to share it with you from my own life. Sometimes the temptation is there to play it safe and to not step out in faith for perhaps something maybe God is nudging me towards. Does anyone can relate to this? The human tendency is to play it safe. And a big part of the reason is because we are so addicted to our comfort and that if we step out in faith, it's risky. It's, too, it's, it's a risk to our comfort. And maybe it's a risk to more than just our comfort. Okay, let's be, let's be fair. Let's be true. Maybe it's more of a risk than that, maybe. But I would say today that some of the most, not all, but some of the most significant things that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives often involves us in stepping out in faith and doing something that we would say is maybe a little risky, right? It's not necessarily the safe play. You guys ever experienced that? Have you, ever, have you ever had God call you to do something or ask you to do something? Like, well, I don't know, God. He's done this to me a number of times. <laughs> I can laugh. I don't, you're asking me to do what? You know, I don't see, God, how this is going to end up good. <laughs> I don't see how this is going to work out. You sure you want me to do this? God says, yeah. So I got to say, okay, Lord, I don't see it, but I'm going to obey. Right? What other choice do I have if I'm a Christian? I'm walking with God. You know, if we're going to walk with God, we got to obey, we got to listen, and maybe there's a risk there. I don't know how this is going to end up. But I do know that God says, I've never, Darren, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to provide, I'm a good God, I'm your Father, and I love you. I'm going to take care of you no matter what. Yeah, you can go and, and obey this. Don't worry. I got you. You don't know the outcome, but I'm your God and I love you. Amen? This is, this is a big part of faith, friends, and how we, 
we live out in faith. But as I said, sometimes we, and this is not to pick on anyone who's maybe a little older, but I just gave you an example. I'm like this too. As I get a little older and more settled in my faith, there's a temptation that, that creeps in to make the say, hey, there's a lot at stake. I have a family. I got kids. I can't just go up and do something dumb and go risk. No, I'm not talking about doing stupid stuff, okay? I'm not talking about just going off and doing something dumb and taking some risk just because I'm crazy and adventure. No, but when God is leading you, when God is leading you and I, you know, this is, this is the key here. You know, there's this story of a man named B.H. Carroll who was uh, a respected, widely respected Baptist preacher in the early 1900s. And I got this story from one of the books from uh, Thomas D. Lee I was reading in preparation for the sermon. And in the early 1900s, uh, he was an elderly man. At this point, he was completely deaf. And one day he was sitting silently on a train going through uh, the state of Texas. And he was thinking about the state of the Baptist churches uh, in, in the state of Texas and, and their need. And, and they were growing rapidly, these churches. And yet, uh, you know, there was no schools uh, within Texas to train Baptist ministers at that time. You know, he was thinking, boy, you know, there's medical schools for doctors. There's law schools for uh, lawyers. But this most important work of God, there's no schools to train pastors in this movement, in the Baptist church during that time. And Carol sensed that God was calling him to begin such a school, but he resisted because of his age and his plans to retire soon. Right? Boy, you're just about to hang it up. You're just about to relax. Oh, Lord, I've done my work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit back and relax. You know? We look forward to retirement. Finally, a conviction that God was calling him to task, overpowered his resistance. And Carol found himself standing up on the train, his hands clenching the seat, clutching the seat in front of him, and exclaiming loudly, Lord, it is clearly thy will. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Go thou with me, and I will try. Then he looked around and realized his fellow passengers were staring at him with amusement and amazement. Remember, he was completely deaf, right? He was kind of locked, you know... So he sat down a little embarrassed, but he was committed to the task. And armed with determination, the determination of faith, Carroll founded Southwestern Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth in 1908 and is now one of the largest seminaries in the world. Wow. I can't even tell you how many students and lives, students who went there over the years, lives who've been changed, trans- transformed because of the people coming through this seminary. All because one elderly man who was already deaf, who was ready to retire, felt the call of God saying, you need to do something. I want to live like that guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Come on, friends. We just read it, and I don't know if you've seen it uh, here. In verse 13, I love this. Okay, talking about these people in Hebrews chapter 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't slow down their faith walk, right? They didn't let up. They didn't just say, well, boy, let that for the younger folk, you know? No. They kept, they kept living this life of faith right up until the time, their time was over. You know, it's like my, my, my former pastor used to say, and I love this. He used to say, as long as you're still sucking air, God has a plan for you, right? Sounds a little harsh, but it's true, right? You got breath in your lungs. God still has a purpose and plan for your life. 
He has a work for you to do. Now, it may not be starting a Bible college like this guy, okay? That may probably not for me either. But I want to live like that guy. I want to be like the persons, you know, the people that the writer of Hebrews would say. They, they were still living by faith when they died. But, you know, there's an element to faith that, when we said it earlier, that's risky. And, and um, you know, we have a problem, you know, in our society a little bit. And it kind of creeps into our lives as believers. And I would say sometimes the work that God has for us to do may never get done, unfortunately. And, and I hope this is not for you personally. But, you know, hey, I've been around a while in ministry now. And I would say sometimes there's, a, there's work that God has called us to do that maybe never gets done because we deem the venture too risky. You know, some people are they're paralyzed by these things, Okay. And again, I'm not talking about just going out and doing something dumb for the sake of doing it. But again, you know, risk is, a, is an issue in, in, in our culture and in our lives. And uh, we like our comfort very much in North America. And, uh, you know, I was sharing with some family members a while back, a few months ago, and just challenging them on, 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 on the, you know, on, on the call of God and my statement to them, and, I, and I've been saying it to myself, and I'll say it to you guys, God's calling is more important than your comfort. It really is, right? God's going to look after our needs. No doubt about it. He looks after us, right? But risk sometimes can threaten that. You know, in our companies, in our churches, even in our own personal lives, we hire people to do risk assessments and risk management to minimize risks and problems and to control as much as possible the outcome that we are desiring. And, hey, friends, there could be great wisdom in this, okay? I'm not, don't get me wrong, okay? There could be great wisdom in counting the cost and making wise decisions. And if God is calling you to do something, yeah, do it in the best way you can do it. But friends, there's a higher priority. Sometimes, you know, I, I, was, I was chatting with a young lady this morning. And, uh, and uh, she's going to college and she's thinking of switching her major. She said, I'm finding out that I am really an analytical person. More so than most people. I am, I am wired this way. And I feel that I need to go into a career that really, you know, she was telling me the career. I won't get into the details with it. So I, I was chatting with her a little bit, and, and so I told you, know, I, I was sharing with her, boy, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit about risk assessment and risk management. These are analytical things, right? And I said, yeah, the Bible doesn't really talk a whole lot, I mean, you know, about those things. And she kind of jokes, yeah, she's just like, you know, it seems, in the Bible, right, she kind of summed it up, yeah, this seems risky. All right, let's go. God is with us. And, you know, no matter what it is, and they go forward. And, and you see a lot of stories of people doing risky things. Now, I had someone this morning a little bit upset at me, I think. And they were saying, no, the Bible talks a little bit about risk management. Risk. Oh, look, there's, there's minimal examples, but I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing. The word risk, okay, and the idea of risk is actually a modern idea. You can't even trace the word risk only really back until the 1600s into modern English. You can't find a Greek or Hebrew equivalent to the word risk. Now, there's lots of danger in the Bible. There's lots of people stepping out in faith doing things that we would say, boy, that's risky, right? So, I mean, we can read that and infer that to be there. But the idea of, of you know, when we say risk management and risk assessment, it's like going and you know, hiring someone. Yeah, you have a 33% chance of success. Well... You know, I'll give you a few examples here, right? I mean, look, we read in, in the book of Judges, chapter 6, 
you know, Gideon was called. God said, well, look, I want you to go and tear down the Asherah poles that your father has set up. And so Gideon wanted to obey God, but he deemed it was too dangerous to do it in the daytime. There's risk. He said, I'm going to do it at the nighttime where there's no money. Okay, so he risked man. Okay, fine. Right? He still obeyed God, but guess where it got him? The very next day, he was hauled before the people who wanted to kill him. So that risk management still ended up before people who wanted to kill him. So, you know, okay. It postponed his, his uh, sentence one day, I suppose. But then you read the next chapter, same person, Gideon. Risk management, right? He decided to do this in the night because it was maybe not as dangerous. Next chapter, chapter 7. God says, I want you to take your military from 32,000 people, whittle it down to 300 people. Now I want you to go into battle with those 300 people. So much for risk management. You know, God sometimes, now, I mean, I mean, if anyone's been in the military, you know, that's, that's crazy, right? Like that's, but if God is in it, if God is calling, you better know the voice of God. If God is calling you to do something, boy, you know what? The odds may be stacked against you, but if God is with you, who can be, who can be against you? Amen. And so Gideon heard the voice of God. Now, we're getting a little off track here, so I need to get back on track. But today, you know, we want to talk about the topic of risk in faith. And like I said, the Bible doesn't have uh, you know, a whole lot to deal with, again, calculating risk, okay? <laughs> um, you know, in doing research for this message, you know, I came across uh, some stuff by T- uh, Timothy Keller. And again, he was bringing up the idea that risk is really a modern idea that it, we can trace the origin of the word uh, to what we would call early modern English and middle French in the 1600s. We already said that. But when we think about it, cultures were very much more fatalistic than we are today, right? Like if, it, it, meaning that you accept your fate. So if you feel to go and do something and if it works out for good for you, well, that was your fate. Right, and if not, that was your fate. If 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 you go and try to do something, uh, you know, for if God wills it, it'll happen, right? And if He doesn't, it won't. And so people just kind of, you know, they prayed and, and certainly they stepped out of faith, um, and not knowing the result, but whatever happened, that was God's providence, right? And and good or bad, God is in control. So that that's kind of how it was. And most cultures were really far more fatalistic than we are today, and. Um, that's kind of how it was. Now, Keller concludes that the idea of risk has only really been brought on, now this is interesting, by the Enlightenment era, uh, era with the Industrial Revolution and the rise of capitalism. Now, you can, you can, it makes a bit of sense, right? The rise of capitalism in the West, and all of a sudden, you know, our capitalistic mindset that we try to manage risk and assess risk because we need to make wise ideas and how to get a better what we call ROI, return on investment, right? If I'm going to step out and do this, what are the chances that what I receive back is going to be? I mean, these are things that we talk about in the business world, right? Um, and with the Industrial Revolution and capitalism as they came to rise in the 1600s, especially the 1700s, deism also began to take rise and had a huge influence really on the founding of our nation, the United States and Canada West, And what deism is, is the belief that God is indeed the creator, but is essentially not involved in his creation whatsoever. That he has left it up to us how to figure things out, how to manipulate it for our own good, how to manage it for the best outcomes. God does not intervene in human, uh, in mankind at all. So deism is a big founding uh, principle, basically, in our culture. And so the idea of risk assessment, risk management came into being. And again, friends, hear me out loud and clear, because someone didn't like what I had to say this morning. 
There is wisdom in this, okay? If you are running a business or your own personal finance, don't go and just do something crazy because, you know, no, all right? Don't, don't do that. But if God is calling you to do that, if you know the voice of God, all right, it's so important. There's been times, and I think I've already said this, man, God has asked me to do some stuff. Man, I can tell you, st- I'm not going to get into specifics here. If you want to talk more, we can. There's been times where God has asked me to do stuff that, humanly speaking, was a little crazy. I'm not going to lie. I've had people come to me and say, Darren, are you sure about this? Are you sure you're hearing the voice of God? Because, yep, all right. <laughs> you know? And then I can tell you how God worked miracles in those situations. As I was just listening to his voice, one step at a time, I didn't know how it was going to end up. But you better make sure you know the voice of God if you're going to step out and do something like that. Okay? Um, it's very, very important. So while the modern idea of risk isn't directly talked about in the Bible, not directly, indirectly, but not directly, the underlying factors are. Okay, This is important to know. So again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because when we deem something too risky, again, I think that many um, God ideas, perhaps, many things that he might have been calling us to do, maybe at some point in time, maybe even today, uh, sometimes things get thwarted because we are too fearful We deem something too risky, we deem the cost too high, that it it stops us, thwarts us from stepping out uh, in the faith that God would have us to step out. So the underlying factors of risk are two things. Number one, we just mentioned it, fear. Okay? Fear is a big thing. Now, the Bible does talk a lot about fear. Right? Talks an awful lot. So it doesn't deal with risk directly, but it directly talks about fear. All over the Bible. Right? I mean, I I can go in many different directions on this point. You know, I mean, the Bible commands us, don't fear, fear not. You know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. And, and, and all these examples, be strong and courageous. You know, God is with us. And, and, and we can find all kinds of things in the scripture. Now, I want to do bring up one thing that might be a little different here. And Keller brings this out uh, in, in his speech as well. Excuse me. And in Psalms chapter 3, we'll read it. And this is David. And he's saying, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. That's what they're saying of of David. Okay, so he's hearing grumblings, right? Many are saying, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory. You are my glory, right? You are the one who lifts my head high. Now, David, as the king, you guys understand in, in the Old Testament, you know, time, that if God is with the king, the king will be successful. Right? If God is truly with the king, he'll be successful. And if the king, therefore, we can, we could, you know, calculate, okay, therefore, if the king then is being successful, that means, well, God must be with him. Right? That's kind of how people thought. But David is hearing grumblings, right? People are complaining. He says, many are saying of me that God will not deliver him. Look at all these enemies. God must not be with him. God must have removed his presence from him. Look at all the people that are surrounding him, ready to overtake him, right? God's not going to deliver him. That's what they're saying. I can just imagine being a leader and the people were saying those type of things about me. Imagine me in the I'm just as a pastor, a leader in this church. I just put myself in Pastor Paul's shoes. I can just imagine if I'm the pastor of this church and all of God's people are thinking, God has left him. God is not with him. You know what I mean? What a terrible thing to have to go through as a leader. I'm, I'm just saying, right? That, that's not nice. And David shows here 
Where is his concern? He says, Lord, but you, Lord, you are my shield. You are my glory. Right? Basically, he's saying, what's really important is you. This is a risky situation. This is, this is, a, this is a, a situation that you can see how fear could come in. You could see how, how, you know, this is not good. But he says, you are my glory. You are my highest priority. My eyes, I lift them up to you. You are what's important. I get my glory, my identity, my purpose, my salvation, my meaning from you. This is really what, what, what's going on here. So he puts his trust in the Lord. And what's really important, the highest priority to him. And so friends, if we are dealing, now here, why am I saying all this? If we are struggling with, an, with fear when it comes to God asking us to do something. And again, you need to know the voice of God. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in the word. You need to be getting godly counsel. If God, you think God is asking, man, I tell you what, when I was first going into ministry, I had a, people say, how do you know? How do you know God's voice? Someone asked me this morning, how do you know God's voice? I said, well, God speaks in many ways. You know, he really does. But when I was seeking God, like, you know, I felt God was impressing on me as a young person that you're going to go into ministry. Man, I tell you, I got saved at 16 years old. I didn't even know what a pastor was. I thought that's where they brought cows out to feed or something, you know. That's what a pastor is, isn't it? No, all right. And all of a sudden, two years later, I find myself going to Bible school and, and becoming, becoming a, or going to become a pastor. Well, people, you know, how do you know the voice of God? Well, when I was seeking this out, you know, God, do you really want me to do this? Man, I was praying, man, fasting, praying, um, isolating myself for periods of time, just to, to, man, to really spend real time in prayer here. Um, Asking for prayer for other individuals, you know, whom I knew were were people whom I trusted. Man, they're close to God. Would you, you know, would you pray? Getting getting advice and counsel from people whom I know. What do you think? I, I sense God might be stirring this in me. What do you think? You know? People whom I trusted, um, you know, did all kinds of things. And God spoke in many ways and all pointed to, yeah, okay, I want you to go in this direction. Okay, you know, so know the voice of God is what I'm saying. But if even in your voice of God, you know, you, you, you sense that God is calling you to do this, but you are too afraid because it seems risky. You are fearful of the outcome. You are fearful of what might happen. You need to do what David did. And he relocated his glory back to God. You and I, when we're presented with things like this, challenges and fears about tomorrow and about, you know, what may or may not happen. You have to understand now, when it comes to risk, the most important thing in our lives is not at risk, if you're walking in faith, right? The most important asset that we have, the most important thing in our lives is our walk with God, the love of God. And if we're walking with Him, we relocate our glory to Him, our identity is truly found in Him, there's never real, any real risk to what's really, ultimately important. Does that make sense? Does this make sense to you guys? Are you with me so far? Because you know what? There's been times when, you know, I thought, man, God, you might be calling me to this. Man, if that ends up bad, what's going to happen? Well, guess what? Even if the worst happens, God is still with me. God still loves me. God will still look, you know, he will, he will protect me. And, 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 and provide, even if the worst, humanly speaking, happens, God is still with me. So there's no real risk to what's really important. Okay. And the second thing is control. Um, 
You know, we have a problem with risk sometimes because we're all by nature, some, some people more degree, degrees than others, but we're all by nature somewhat control freaks, right? Um, some of us more than others, and I'll put myself in that camp sometimes. Sometimes I really want to be in control. I'm being honest, you know, the, I like to be in control. Maybe you do too. And that's a problem when it comes to risk because if you let go, you relinquish control, there's a risk that whatever it was, it might not go good. It might get messed up. Um, and if we have a problem with that, you know, we really need to understand that God is the, ultimately, he's the one in control. You and I, we think we're in control, but in the bigger picture, in the grand scheme of things, God is in control. Amen? We think we are, but we're not really. Um, James 4.13, right up here, it says, and this is familiar to some of us, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? <laughs> you know, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Wow, that's, that's a harsh thing to say. So, friends, we, we, we don't have control. Um, Proverbs 16.9, another familiar portion of Scripture, says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. God is in control. And that's good news, friends. You know why? Because God loves us. <laughs> right? He died for you and I. So if God is in control, even if things look risky, even if we don't know the outcome, God loves you and I. And he's trustworthy today. Amen? He's trustworthy. And so having sometimes these issues with fear and control can ultimately thwart us from living a life of faith. Don't let it do that in your life. I'm trying to live in such a way where fear and control will not thwart me from living a life of faith. And I want to be, again, like that writer, or the person in Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, verse 13, where it says, up until the day they died, they were living by faith. I want to live in that way. Some thoughts from Hebrews 11 real quick, and uh, we'll see if we get through all this. We might not, but that's okay. Verse 1 uh, in Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the confident assurance, or sorry, the confidence. Faith is the, oh, that's a different version. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Let's just hit pause right there. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Pause. What do you hope for? Good question. What should be our ultimate hope, first of all? He's our hope. Okay? So biblical faith really only works when our hope priority is in the right order. Okay? Number one. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Friends, our hope. God must be our ultimate hope. He should be at the top of our hope priority list. So therefore, I submit to you that we need to have confidence in God. In confidence of what you hope for. We hope in God. We have confidence in God. And he goes on to say, assurance about what we do not see. Again, ultimately what we do not see is God. We don't see God like this. We don't, you know, he, he, we don't see him. But this is an assurance in the presence and power of God. Now I'm going to say something. This might just challenge us a little bit here today. 
True faith is not just about mentally tricking oneself to believe something will happen that has not happened yet. (laughs) Okay? Again, we don't know the future. But true faith will cause us to step out, at times take risks, because we are confident, is that the word confidence, and assured of who God is and that he loves us. Right? This is really, this is the foundations of faith. Now I said, well, Darren, no, but it, it specifically says, you know, you know, I've been around a while again, and I've seen some people confident in what you hope for. Well, I'm, I have faith that this is going to happen. Man, I believe in my heart this is how it's going to turn out. And man, God showed me this is going to how it's turned out. So I, this is what's going to happen, brother. You just wait and see this is what's going to happen. I got faith. You have faith for it? Well, I don't know, but oh, you should have faith for this. This is the way it's going to happen. And we, gotta, we rile ourselves up for all this faith about how this is going to happen in this way. And we're so pumped and, 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 until it doesn't happen that way. Well, man, you had so much faith. What happened? <laughs> you know, some, <laughs> you better know the voice of God, but sometimes, again, our faith our, is misplaced. We don't always know the outcomes, do we? Come on now. We don't know anything. We don't know the outcomes. We don't know the future. We don't know how exactly how God is going to do things. We know that God is with us. We know that he's faithful. We know that sometimes, yeah, he asks us to do something. Sometimes he does show us some things. In the, absolutely, sometimes he does do that. But boy, do we have to ever be careful about predicting future things because, you know what I mean? Come on now, right? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know the outcomes. Um, We're going to talk about that in just a a few minutes here. But we we can have faith because we are confident and assured of who God is and that he loves us. Um. You know, again, I mentioned, I'm jumping all over the place here. You know, sometimes God has asked me to do things and called me to do things that I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, whether it was going to turn out good or not. But my faith is not in outcomes. But my faith is in the one whom I've put my glory. He's my identity. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my everything. I have faith in him, not in the outcome. So guess what? I can, I can obey and serve him, right? This is living a life of faith, friends. Okay? And this is how these people in the Hebrews Hall of Faith lived. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the Hebrews Hall of Faith. All these wonderful, godly people who did all these great exploits for God. This is how they lived. And when you study the lives of these people, there's really no indication that they knew exactly what the outcome was going to be as they stepped out in faith. You know, we read it about Abraham. He said, you know, God led him, and yet he did not know where he was going. (laughs) You know, Abraham didn't know where God was leading him, really. And it goes on in verse 2, it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. Again, their faith. They're stepping out, maybe doing something a little... All of these things in Hebrews chapter 11, by the way. I I encourage, we didn't go through the whole chapter. We stopped at 16, right? Go home later on and read through it. Every one of these people that they're talking about, their examples of faith, we would say were risky things. (laughs) Interesting. And again, in verse 13, and we talked about it earlier, you know, these people were still living by faith when they died. Lord, help us to continue throughout our lifetime uh, to live in, in such a way. Verse 13, there you go. And these people were able to live these lives of faith because they understood, ultimately, that the things that are, are real assets, the things that are of utmost importance, the things that are the highest priority, that they are not at risk because they understood that we are all just foreigners here on this planet It says this again in this part of of Hebrews 11. We're all just foreigners here, aliens, if you will. Ultimately, we don't belong here. This is not our true home. 
Sometimes we act like it, but it's not really. Okay? And, um, and so people of great faith throughout the scriptures and really throughout the history of the world, they have understood that heaven, our eternity with Christ, is ultimately our home. And we need to have this eternal perspective. And then in verse 16, I love this. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Wow. God wasn't ashamed to be their God. Why? Because these were people who stepped out in faith. Again, all these examples, you know, we can read in, in James chapter 2 where it talks about, you know, faith without deeds is dead, right? You say, I have faith, you know, or you have faith and I have deeds. He says, I'll show you my faith by my deeds, right? Faith without deeds is dead. He says, even, even the demons believe, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So faith is always accompanied by some kind of action. We have to act out whatever God is, is saying. And, and then it says, and again, at the end of this, God is not ashamed to be called their God, right? Because they lived this life of faith. So, well, Pastor Darren, that's all wonderful. These are, these are extraordinary men and women of the Bible. They're examples of faith. Yeah, it's amazing, but that's why they're in the Bible, because they're like superheroes of faith. That's why, of course, they did, you know, like, man, these are, that's why they're in the Bible. Of course, they had great examples of faith. They're in the Bible. But friends, you know what? These were just ordinary, flawed, sinful people like you and I. Read through Hebrews 11 and then go study these characters that they're talking about. Ordinary, flawed, sinful people like you and I who obeyed the voice of God even when it was risky. That's the reason they're in the Bible, is to be an example to us. It's not because they're so good that they... No, they are mentioned in Hebrews 11 as an example. Now, this is how you're to live. Did you guys realize that? Hebrews 12, 1, I'm going to paraphrase. Okay, this is why in Hebrews 12, basically the writer is summing up all of 11. I'll paraphrase it, but trust me, this, this works, okay? Therefore, since we basically just talked about all these wonderful examples of the faith, let us do the same things, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12.1, right? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? Basically, therefore, since we've just talked about all these wonderful people of the faith, therefore, let us go and do the same thing. Live, let us live the same way, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's an example for us to live and walk in faith, amen? And we see here again that this is the type of life that God is not ashamed to be called their God. We, we read it earlier. I said highlight, you know, Highlight it, if you can, in your Bible, that God commended these people. This was their well-done, good, and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. Now, friends, we've pretty well run out of time here. I, have, I haven't even got to my main points. I have six points of faith here, but <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Um, I don't know what God has led you through in life. Maybe you've gone through some things that you, you know, uh, if I'm being honest, there's times when, when I've done well with stepping out in faith and other times when I have not. Okay. If I'm being honest, I, man, I, 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 I bombed that test. I did not do well in that test. God was testing me. I didn't do so well. There was other times where I did well. God was nudging me, uh, you know, boy, this is risky and, uh, but okay, God, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And God was right there. And that makes me think, gee, you know, um, 
I failed that other test for no reason. God was with me the whole time. All I had to do was just obey him and go with him. And you know what I mean? The more of these experiences you have, the more you start to experience God's faithfulness and that he is. Yeah, he is indeed with us. And he'll provide miraculous uh, provision in our lives as we step out in faith. And, you know, there's an old saying. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of trite, I know. But if it's God's will, it's God's bill. You know what I mean? If God, if God wants me to do this, he'll provide some way, some way for me to do it. If it's really God, you know, if that's God's will, he'll provide a way for me to accomplish whatever. So I don't know what God is asking you to do in life, what he's leading. Maybe you, you're here tonight and, man, there's been things you've been wrestling with for a while. Oh, man, I feel God is leading me to, to step out in this area or that area. Maybe it seems a little risky. Maybe you, you, you don't know the outcomes. Maybe there's some fear. Maybe there's issues of control. But friends, if God is calling, you need to get, get in with God. Really sense, you know, I want to be like this old guy, again, who is ready to retire, right? But all of a sudden, God shows him he wants to use him to do something, even in his old age. Man, I want to be like that. I don't want to slow down as I get hopefully older, wiser, more mature in the faith. As, all, as the years go on, I don't want to slow down my faith walk. Amen? I want to keep living by faith. I want to keep living in response to the voice of God. And as we do that, you know, hopefully as we get older, we do get wiser, more mature, more knowledge, all those things. Can you imagine having all that experience and wisdom and knowledge as we get older, but yet not losing that element of faith in God? And, you know, I mean, that's an awesome combination. Isn't it true? Because when we're younger, we got all this faith and energy and vigor, but we have very little wisdom and very little knowledge. But imagine if we kept that life of faith, kept that, that vigor, living by faith right up until the day we die, the things that God can do in us and the things he can do through us. It's a powerful thing. Why don't we stand tonight and um, we're just going to finish here this evening. And... Oh, thank you, Pastor Mark. I didn't see you slide in behind me. <laughs> Why don't we pray? And uh, as we do, you can just bow your heads, close your eyes. and um, you know, I don't know about you, but I truly believe today that God isn't done with me yet. He's not done with you yet. Hey, we're still here. There's breath in our lungs. He still has something. And would you, along with me, commit before the Lord that we're going to continue to walk in faith and not by sight? Would you open up your hearts along with me to allow God to show us, to prod us, to move us, perhaps in ways that maybe we thought, boy, I don't know if I can do that. That seems a little risky. But maybe God is leading us to do something. We need to step out in faith tonight. And you would say, Darren, would you, you, know, you don't have to give me the details of what that is. But would you pray for me that I would have the faith, the strength, the wherewithal to walk this out, to take that bold step for God, to do this hard thing that I know he's asked me to do. I don't know the outcome. I'm a little afraid of this outcome, maybe. But would you pray that I would have the faith and the strength and the wherewithal, that I would relocate my identity to, to, to who Christ is? 
Let's pray. And if this, any of this is speaking to you tonight, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray. My hands are going to be up. I'm preaching to myself tonight, friends. <laughs> Come on now. God, I pray for every brother and sister in this room tonight. Whatever it is in their lives, that you're speaking into their hearts right now, God, whether it's decisions that they need to make, whether it's ways that you're leading and guiding them in their lives, God, I pray that our true hope, our true foundation, our trust, our identity would be found in you. And God, as we live in that way, God, that we would not be controlled by fear. God, we would not let fear or control stop us, Lord, from living the life of faith, from doing the things that you're calling and leading us to do. God, you are a trustworthy God. And even though we don't know the outcomes, we know who you are and you love us. So God, we just put our identity in your love and your provision and in your care. And God, I pray that you would help us all to take steps of boldness, Lord. You would help us to be bold in this life of faith. That, Lord, we would take action for those things in which you are calling us and leading us to do. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to be the people you're calling us to be so we can do the things you're calling us to do, Jesus. And we just pray this now in your precious name. Amen.